What's up, everybody? It is Troy Pryor, host of the Cypher Live podcast and founder of Creative Cypher. We're super excited to have another dope, talented creator with us today as we interview creative entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Today, uh, we have Carla Lee in the building in third grade. In a third grade book report, she announced she wanted to be a comedy clown, and she's been making people laugh ever since. Her passion for tackling creative projects and experiences that surprise, delight, challenge people, and prioritize inclusivity and representation has been a hallmark in her journey. She is the chief of original content for We The People. Put your hands together. Carla Lee. Thank you for having me. Oh, I can hear those hands. They're deafening. They're deafening. Yeah, yeah. Yo, how you doing? You know, uh, I, I'm a creative who had my second child right before everything shut down in the world. So, you know, it's been an adjustment, um, but I'm doing well. Like it's, I feel like people are getting excited about kind of connecting and making some cool things happen. And it's great to be making those things happen from back here, uh, in Chicago after a couple decades in the Bay Area. So can't complain. It's all good. Nice, nice. So you talk about being back in Chicago. Sue, so you're originally from the Shy, the Shy area, and then you moved to the Bay Area. Um what I took am. you over to the Bay? Uh winter. Um and also, <laughs> you know, I I had sort of hit that point, I think, like in high school where you know, you think you know better than everyone else. And I was like, I'm going to get out of this town. In fact, I'm going to get out of this area. I'm going to California. Like I was really attracted to uh, placing myself in a totally different environment. Didn't want to deal with winter anymore. I think I had always been drawn to California because in my mind, California was like LA and hippies and I was down for it. So wound up in Santa Cruz. Man, I have so many folks that they'll tell me, oh, I'm going to come to Chicago. And I have to ask them, um, when? Like, what time? Yeah, exactly. are you <laughs> the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, so I'm thinking about February. Nah. No. I mean, that's really, that's the worst of times, <laughs> right? I mean, it's only 28 days usually. And it's not just because it's Black History Month, right? It's like, because we want to get it over with. Let's at least like, I, like get March in our heads mm -hmm. as like a concept, even if it doesn't pan out that way. But and, and for me, March always represented. So my birthday's in March. There was spring break. So it was always like, yo, can we get through this right. polar vortex so we Just can get, get on the other it. side of things? It's true. And it's funny because now that like so many people have moved, a lot of my friends have moved from uh, the Bay Area or from California altogether. And it's like, I have these friends in New York and Boston and all these like East Coast, Northeast places. And they're like shook. Like they're too afraid to come to Chicago in the winter. And you know, those those winters on the East Coast don't look fun, but they're like, no, Chicago is where I draw mm. the line. I'm like, well, enjoy your rent and your mortgage. Right. I'll be here in Chicago. Yeah, there's a little give or take, a little compromise there. There is. Yeah, so you talked, uh, so um, I had a cousin of mine, he's a stand-up comedian now, and it was a while ago, he said he was going to clown school. And mm. I was like, man, what is that? 
And come to find <laughs> out, I didn't even know what he was. It was real. It was, I didn't know what he meant right. at the time. Right. But right. it was pretty dope. And then I wound up uh, finding out that we were both the second city at the same time. And improv became a huge part of my background. And I know that that's a huge part of your background. I want to dive into that for you. I would love to. I mean, I love, so are we calling Second City Clown School? Like he didn't go to no, an actual no. clowning school. He meant Second City? No, no, no. Oh. He meant clowning oh, he school. He actually went. Okay. He was actually doing that, yeah. And that's why I needed to clarify because yeah. A, I would assume clowning school is only for white people and B, that, you know, since you followed it up with Second City, I was like, oh, maybe he meant that. Oh, I stand they, corrected. They may, new, they may have a new program there. I don't know. <laughs> they may, I mean, they have all kinds of stuff. I'm like mm -hmm. improv for anxiety. Incredible. Like what an offering. I mean, and I, and I'm actually, it sounds kind of, you know, like I'm being flip, but I, I really do believe strongly in the power of those skills because they apply to everything. Oh so. yeah. One of my good friends, um, uh, she ran, I think it was called BizCo over there. And it was so interesting because a lot of the public speaking and just the classes that I may teach, improv plays a huge role. And there's a whole dynamic in that. But going back to just improv, the craft mm -hmm. of improv, mm -hmm. what drew you, what attracted you to that world? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, watching Saturday Night Live, I mean, you know, I started really watching that in earnest when I was about eight years old. Um, and I was like, look at these goofballs, that's for me. Um, I was like, I'd rather be anybody but myself. How about I become an improviser? Um, and you know, growing up in Chicago, there's obviously Second City kids shows. So like my parents were wonderful and would take me to those. And I just, I just, I don't know, when I started to really understand what that was and that that was the foundation of where a lot of the folks on SNL uh and eventually in living color and stuff like where they were coming up with this stuff that it's like born in the moment on a stage at a you know improv show i, I was like where how do i sign me up let's do it so if i was to do zip zap zow you can go do, do <laughs> zip, zip, yeah zip, yeah yeah, 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 yeah i'm familiar good. with the zap i didn't know about the zap oh you're not, you're not up the on the zap we do where we do the zap, not the zap. Oh, you okay? So you got the zap. Okay, we it. got the zap. Okay, like pop or soda. Right? Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's cool, man. I remember. It's just it's so it's so funny. I always bring that up when I talk to other improvisers or those that came out of that space. It's just like a classic thing for those that are out there listening. You can't see. You can't see. Z. You can't see. Yeah, I was actually. <laughs> you can't right. zip zap zap or z. Yeah. But you know what? So many of us in the creative space that are producers, filmmakers, that work in other capacities, start as talent and wear both hats. But you are now uh, in that executive suite, in that executive role as the as as as, as the the big Kahuna over at We the People. Let's talk about We the People. Uh, how did that come about? Yeah. So, and and just to clarify, like me being in a, at a C level position just goes to show that anyone can be an executive. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So my journey with We the People uh, began as part of my journey with Nice Tan, which is the, um, you know, the predominantly queer people of color led series where we do. It's a sketch comedy series where we do different 
riffs on identity and a lot of cases of mistaken identity. And it's all supposed to be like a super intersectional hodgepodge of, you know, our experiences and all kinds of things. But anyway, so I had started Nice Tan in uh, officially in like 2016. And we had shot our first sketch, uh, self-produced, self-funded. Then a production company brought us in because they were interested in the project. We shot a sizzle with them um, and we're getting ready to do more. And our producer, uh, our initial producer, Lauren Feinerman, she had decided to move to LA and kind of follow her own work. Um, but she was phenomenal. And we, I was like, I can't, like Lauren set the bar so high. Like how will I ever find someone else like that? And then uh, my director, Adrian, who's a dear friend of mine was like, you got to meet this woman, Melissa Daniels. She's a powerhouse. She's amazing. She can just make miracles in production. So we brought Melissa in uh, to jump in as our producer for Nice Tan. And uh, true to Adrian's word, she was just making miracles happen on a bootstrap budget, insanely high quality, you know, high caliber production value. And I've seen her other work. And I was just like, Melissa, you're, you're amazing. Whatever you want to do, like, as long as you want to work together, we're working together. And um, down the road, we, you know, she came to me um, uh, this spring and she said, you know, that I've always wanted to, you know, put you where I think you should be um, in this industry and help you get there. And she was like, you, I'm building out this originals um, play for We the People and I want you to come run it. Um, And she just said, you know, she really appreciated my creative vision. Our missions are aligned as far as like drastically impacting representation and inclusion, um, equity in the industry, and just giving opportunities to amazing creators who would never otherwise get a seat at certain tables. Um, And to tell stories authentically uh, for audiences that want them. So, uh, you know, she and she was like, I'd love to build out a slate with you. And so that's what we're doing, basically. We uh, also have a chief of content innovation, Alicia Corvin, who's just like a badass, you know, 20 plus year veteran. I mean, girl is humble, but she's got Emmys like it's wild. So she's uh, she's heading up content innovation. And so we really see ourselves as like a mixed black, brown, Latina, uh, women-led company who's going to shake things up in the entertainment space. So that's how we... Disruptors in the building. That's right. That's right. And Melissa founded We The People, I think, about six years ago. So this is all like kind of the next stage in the development of uh, her amazing company. That's so dope, man. That's amazing because... You know, going back to the onset of that relationship, someone referred you to Melissa because of a project that you were working on that you created, came up with, and it turned into another level of opportunities for you uh, in in this role with We The People. Now, so many of the folks that are listening to our podcast, they're creative entrepreneurs, they're individuals that are at various levels of the industry or phases, but we, we often talk, we oftentimes talk about the journey, the journey. There's no one way, no one blueprint. And so it's amazing to hear no way. that path that has led you to this. 
going back to nice tan so i was very fortunate to see a bit of it <laughs> it's hilarious you know i can't wait Thank to you. see what that evolves into uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about like what inspired you to create that project absolutely so um you know i uh it's always it's just always been my dream uh to be in a sketch comedy series um and you know right around so i had had my first daughter and i was making a really tough decision like my heart kind of wasn't necessarily in corporate life at the time i had, had this huge change i had a, a a little one but i i was sort of like talking to my therapist and my life coach about you know what what am i really here for what am i really on this earth for and i i know in my heart um it was to create something like nice tan and so it really like came at a time where uh, i remember it was like all the ferguson um violence was happening um so there's a big political moment and um key and peel i think also kind of recently had announced that they were going off the air and i'm like a massive key and peel fan for a lot of reasons but you know i was like wow this feels like a time where we really need to hear from um black creators where it would be interesting to hear from mixed race black creators um i think sketch comedy is really effective at sort of like taking something that can be really painful or really traumatic and like you know kind of escalating it um in a way to a place where it's kind of had some of its weight taken out of it and then people can grapple with that concept so um you know i was sort of looking at that moment and i was saying you know i've never seen something like a key and peel and amy schumer show you know whatever dave chappelle show but like led by a black woman or like led by an asian woman or you know like a latina woman like just like a woman of color and i was like you know, I'm going to like be bold and I'm going to say like I'm not just going to sit here and complain about it. Um why not me? Why couldn't I be the one to do that? There's literally nothing saying that that's impossible. So, I'm going to give it my best shot. Um and it grew from just like my concept um and I and and the name Nice Tan actually came from getting told that a lot uh living in the bay area especially in san francisco where we have this like rapidly dwindling black population i could go sometimes walking around downtown like a whole day without seeing a, a single black person so white people almost like couldn't even perceive me as a black woman especially if i had like my hair straightened or something like in a in a predominantly white space it just didn't even register to them i was like the default is you're white and then you've got a tan. So, you know, that I was like that really like nails what I want to tackle about how people approach identity. And um after I had sort of shot my first sketch and then we were asked to produce the sizzle, I started to realize like I knew so many freaking hilarious talented folks who I wanted to see on camera and who I wanted like whose stories and experiences I wanted to bring into the writers room and so like we just rapidly grew into a team of about 20 creators and we would just have these like bonkers writing writers rooms where we would just write these insane sketches 
and dream big, right? Play whatever characters we don't typically get cast as, right? So that was another reason why I created Nice Tan was to give a give myself and others like me um, creative control over the types of you know experiences they wanted, roles they wanted to play. Do they want to learn how to be a pr producer? Come check out what the producer is doing on set. Do you want to? You're an actor, but you want to be a writer. Come, you write a couple sketches, bring them to the writer's room, you know? So that's really, it was kind of all that um, for myself and then wanting to bring people along. Because they say necessity is the mother of all invention. Um, but that's so dope the way you brought, just, you brought that up because there's several things in there. Because what I'm hearing is one aspect of it is purpose. Is that, yes, there's, you've got the chops, got the skill and you got the talent but it's rooted in something that is bigger than just performing it's something that's absolutely. there absolutely and then i'm also hearing this uh the idea of not waiting for somebody to provide an opportunity and doing it yourself for self but also the beauty in that is opening the doors for others how does it feel to be able to provide opportunities for those other talented creators that you were able to, to find? I mean, it's it's my dream. Like it was sort of another kind of unexpected joy that I found in this path was like, I was like, I knew I wanted to provide some, some opportunities. Um, but when I really realized like the scale on which that might be possible, um, it's pretty much like fueled everything else that I've done since then, because I realized the impact that you can have. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, we're kind of going against something where it's like, you can't make a creative career viable and there's that fear, right? And you know, that fear had me kind of step back from creative and, and go into the corporate space for a while. And I still found opportunities to be creative there, but it wasn't really what my heart was in. Um, so that's really, I don't know, to me, that's that's what I think about is like, who's sitting there at a desk, at a job they hate, um, but like really would be the next great like comedy writer, you know? Like you see something in a person and you're like, let's, let's get you doing that. Like one of our perfect example, um, one of our team members, Aneke, she's a like, amazing research librarian at a big university. Um, but she's written some of our best sketches, come up with some of our best characters. You can see her in the nice tan sizzle. I brought her onto Blackfish because I was like, let's, I just know you and I know you're dope. Like get over here and let's film this thing together. And we've had an amazing creative relationship since then. And that like, that's so dope because it's an example of why I'll use the buzzwords, but why diversity in the executive suites is so important because how many talented folks are out there in the world that decision makers just don't even see? They don't even recognize them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can read like literally one of my favorite things to reference is, um, and I know I have it somewhere over here, but McKinsey did a report on diversity and inclusion um, and how much money is being lost and left behind by the industry for keeping like abysmal DEI statistics um, and who's making, who are the decision makers, who are the, 
you know, people on set, all of that. So it's, it's, it's so much bigger. I mean, really like the impact of having those (laughs) diverse voices, um, but diverse in ways that have been overlooked or ignored. It's like, it's a self-perpetuating cycle um, because that's what that data and that McKinsey report and that USC Annenberg collab said was just like statistically how unlikely you are to have um, diverse and inclusive and representational content, characters, writers' rooms, you know, boards, whatever, exec benches, like, and you can't just hire a black person to do your DEI. It's got to be oh, all level. That might be the that may be the uh, title for this episode. <laughs> <You can't, laughs> for real? Oh, like, no, no, uh, no, no, no. You got to put on a cape. You have all the powers. You can change it all. I remember listening to Sinbad. Oh man, one of my favorite comedians a long, long time yeah. ago. And all right, so I'm not a comedian for those that are listening. So hopefully I don't ruin this. But the point is, no way. Are you going to retell a joke? Are you going to give a recap, Troy? It makes Dangerous territory. It applies. It applies. It's so anyway, he was like, he was on a bus and there were, he was a black guy and another black guy on the bus got on the bus and he was doing something that it was making the white folks on the bus uncomfortable. Yes. And they all looked at him and they were like, would you do something? And he's like, I don't, I don't know him. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I remember that one. That's so good. So do you think that, do you believe that as artists, as creative entrepreneurs, that the artist has a responsibility to society? What's your stance or your perspective on that? Um, you know, there's, I guess it depends on like what you consider an artist, because I feel like there are folks who like really, and like legitimately, and that's, fine like that's your thing you can be a talent or you can be an entertainer but i think an artist is a different thing like i think you can you could get yourself cast in any old thing and you're like listen i just want the money like that's what i'm here to do um i think real artists who are um you know really wanting to be reflective of like the moment or the zeitgeist or kind of the general spirit of the times in a way that's like controversial or challenging or just sort of, you know, I don't know, throwing something out there and provoking conversation. Like, yeah, I think there's, I think there's a responsibility and I think it's to be genuine and authentic in what you do and not forget the people who helped you get there. And I don't even mean like people giving you job opportunities. I'm talking about your auntie who like, I don't know, like made you a certain way, like as part of your personality. And you're like, yeah, if you hadn't sort of like done these things, like we, I wouldn't be who I am today, you know, or your third grade teacher or whatever. Like I remember seeing Adele on stage and they brought out like her elementary school music teacher and they were like crying and hugging. Like I got people like that. So I feel a responsibility to them. Um, and I feel a responsibility to like, you know, just like really consider hard, like what you're bringing into society. What's your contribution? So thinking about society, we talked a little bit about, or you mentioned Ferguson and some, some of the inspiration that you saw coming out of that activity. 
to create mm-hmm. something. 2020 was craziness. Massive oh, yeah. such an understatement. Yeah. From a from a DEI standpoint, I saw it as what I call it the one eight hundred higher brother, you know, syndrome. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, we're gonna put money behind black this, black this, black power, black oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. Did you feel like that was just off the top? Did you trust that? Did you feel like it was performative? What were your thoughts when when like you saw the hyper focus on DEI? Yeah. You know, I always, one of my favorite gifts is that clip of Monique saying, I would like to see it. You know what I mean? Like that's it's sort of like, okay, I would like to see it because from just on like a personal level, you know, I saw what was going on in Ferguson. I had seen things way before that as a black person, you know, about those things in your own families before, you know, whatever. And white people are surprised. And so then it's like, you, so we sort of had all these moments, right? And it's like, how many people have to die in order to be taken seriously, right? And so after all that, like you get to 2020 and you're like, people are out in these streets. It's like global, like it's really like, you can't, it's irrefutable, right? And so still though, there's that part where you gotta like hold it at arm's length and say, I would like to see it because that's what I'm dealing with right now is um, all the people who said they were going to read all the books, man, they were going to watch this documentary, listen to that podcast. How do I get, how do I fix it? How do I do better? How can I, you know, and man, like, I wish there was a way to quantify like data and accountability on this. Because people are still asking the same, can I swear on here? Can I be real? It's just oh, like the think? same oh, dumbass fucking questions. Like, oh, how did we get here? Like the next, you know, tragedy happens. Well, how did we get here? And nobody, and meanwhile, they're taking history like away in school. So right. it's it's just like, you know, well, you, I have it. to hold it at arm's length taking history away and then replacing it with something that right. was watered down. I saw something in Texas, um, one of the counties, and they called slavery, some, they used the term, yeah, um, like, um, like uh, oh man, I'm gonna mess up the term. No, I know, I know yeah. what you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, like when you're reading it, you're like, they, they called it something like, um, Involuntary, involuntary work or something like, a, or something work, like yeah. that. You're, you're looking at like, when was this? You mean right, slavery? right? Like, yeah, and so right. it gets us back to this idea of creators, artists, or people with a platform. People with mm-hmm. the platform using that gift to educate. So education mm-hmm. was such a huge part in my family, and mm-hmm. self education was just so important. You know, I feel like what I'm doing in media provides a platform or it provides a ministry to help and support it. It gets me back to that purpose. Uh, and so I feel like it's just so important for individuals that may have that access or be in a position to leverage it because it's a never ending cycle, you know, of, of you know, information being taken away or being watered down. And so we have to use those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, as artists, back to that other question of yours, like what, what art are you, what story are you wanting to tell here? Because 
um, you can make such an impact for the better. You can make an impact for the worse. And I would include apathy in the worst, doing nothing. So, you know, I, honestly, like if you look at data around what people watch, I would say it's like predominantly, um, well, I forget what it, I think it was like news. And number two was comedy. Okay, so people, that tells you something, right? I mean, people started consuming news so differently with The Daily Show um, and ever since then, and people look to comedians for news. So, you know, it's like you want to engage with the world because you know there's a lot going on, but it's so freaking traumatic and painful that you need to hear it from a comedian. And also people messing around with this curriculum in these schools I think really it's it's going to be up to the entertainers. Um, if it's not going to be up to the educators, then it's up to the entertainers. It's why Sesame Street was originally brought into living rooms for kids who at home are at home and maybe can't their parents can't afford the high cost of preschool. There's no like free preschool. Like they wanted to get to those kids, and I think that's what entertainers with a, or I'm sorry, artists with a social mindset, a socially responsible mindset and sort of a larger purpose. That's, that's where the responsibility comes in into play is like you can teach somebody something or at least generate enough empathy for them to be able to consider it or bring something into their, I mean, look what Watchmen did with the conversation around um, the Tulsa massacre. So yeah. What look at like you mentioned Jordan, you know, what Jordan Pill is doing with the projects. Like you sit back and you watch it and you're like, I'm entertained, but oh, I'm catching all of the nuances behind what he's dropping here. And uh comedians, uh people who are great with comedy and great with horror are uh, more common than I think people understand. I mean, I have a horror feature that I developed as a social commentary horror feature. Um, obviously, Jordan Peele is like a North Star for me in a lot of ways. So it's like you, if you're good at sort of like escalating something, like making something seem so ridiculous in society and attack it from a comedic perspective, you can certainly escalate some sort of societal dynamic from a horror perspective and make it so friggin' frightening. Um, Cause comedians are insane. So that's what we, that's our special gift <laughs> is to yeah, merge you know, laughter and drama. And, and speaking of that, um, and one of the shows that projects that you came up with, I know when I first started, I had the opportunity to work on set uh, with, the, with the guy that became very successful out of Atlanta um who shares my initials actually tp oh and, andre 3000 oh okay oh Sorry. yeah yeah that one that guy yeah <laughs> <in the building. laughs> no but you came up with this and i swear i kept looking at it and i thought i was reading it the wrong way i kept looking the pilotary presents pilotary a pilotary production talk about yeah. that okay so, so um so I uh, performed for a long time with, and I'm now on the board of a sketch company called Killing My Lobster uh, in San Francisco. Um, so think like Second City, but smaller and in the Bay Area. Um, although they deserve to be much bigger. Um, but so uh, as part of uh, kind of an interesting approach to our season, 
our artistic director came up with something called triple feature, whereas normally we do one hour shows with one cast of like five or six people. Um, we split up the hour into three 20 minute shows. And it was a way for like us, for us as writers and actors to pitch just like wild concepts, maybe like a passion project, something we wanted to pilot, something we'd always wanted to do. And I pitched Pilar Terry um, because we were really eager to stage more um, representative content um, in our theater. And, and so, I mean, we had, we had some wild shows, but Pilar Terry wound up being myself, um, Janae Simon, who I was actually just texting with today. She directed it. Um, Dom Jellen was the head writer with me, the, we were the writing team, and then Marshall and G. So that was our tiny but mighty team. There were only three actors the entire time. And we just like wrote and put together in like a week and a half or two weeks, a bunch of like satire and commentary on, on Tyler Perry's entire catalog. And we went to the Paramount in Oakland and watched um, like the Medea farewell uh, live show. Cause I'd never been to one of his live shows. And we were like, this is the cultural experience of a lifetime. Um, but you know, we all sort of, so we were like an all black, all queer team tackling Tyler Perry satire. <laughs> and we were like, you know, good satire has to come from something that you have gripes with, and but also something you love, right? And so that was really the heart of the show. Was it like, what are the tropes within the Black community that we're seeing on stage and on screen, right? And, um, but then also like, what are the things, you know, how are the ways that people feel sort of that they're detrimental? How are the ways that, people feel that they're representative, how, like, how are they empowering and positive for people? So it was sort of like dealing with all of that within 20 minutes of like really fast paced mm -hmm. um, sketch comedy. So Dope. it was an amazing experience. Man, I know when I read it, I kept looking at it like, what, I'm reading this, wait, wait a minute. What is, I gotta ask about this. <laughs> I gotta know what the project is about for sure. But well, you know, I got some footage. I got some footage to share with you. Or I saw one of your quotes, and we kind of hit on it already. You mentioned, "Don't bet on people who've already won. Bet on people who haven't had the chance to play the game." Let's unpack that. Yeah, I mean, I look. It's easy to bet. It's easy to bet on somebody who's already a name. It's easy to bet on somebody who's famous. Um, but you know, like I said, I was having a conversation with this one director. We were talking about comedy, and I was like, I want to see the Netflix half hour from somebody who's like a freaking, I don't know, like auntie. I'll say auntie again because I'm big on aunties right now because they're amazing and I they need to get their due. But like somebody's auntie who works in like, you know, health administration or something, but everyone's like, that's the funniest motherfucker we know. Like, we just know. Because, like, my aunt was like that, where I'm like, dude, she could get up there and just, like, destroy if she wanted to at any comedy club. Like, those are the people I want to find and give a platform to because they're out there in the trenches, like, keep telling it like it is and keeping it real and mm -hmm. bless those folks. I want to I wanna see their stories up on the screen because we can all relate to them. 
look, I got, I have somebody, um, he's like an uncle and I, this dude needs to be on a podcast. I'm like, he always has a story and it's like, we all have one. Oh my, oh my God. I'm like, dude, but he doesn't want to be on a podcast because he, he's, he feels like it'll be too uh, dangerous. He's like, uh, don't, re don't record me. <laughs> listen, Blunkles are everything. We did in our first SF Sketch Fest show, we, for Nice Tan, we wrote a sketch called Meet the Blunkles. And we each played a different Blunkle. And I think we were all like crying laughing in that writer's room because we just got to be like the family that we all that we all know mm -hmm. and love and argue with and you know whatever but man blunkles are amazing dope. the best so we got you know like i said we got a lot of dope artists that are listening in we talked about why or the why behind um becoming a part of a project what that inspiration is a little bit about that process but so many creators have a fear of missing out on opportunities that sometimes we agree to a lot of stuff. Talk about the value in being able to say no. Woo, and I, it is a hard, I think that's one of the hardest, especially if like your whole creative thing is like, yes, and <laughs> you're like, we'll always find a way, but right. sometimes you can't find a way. So, you know, I think it's about understanding your worth and your value and protecting that um and you got to have good people around you in order to understand how to protect that so i say like always have a good lawyer or like someone who knows is willing to like help you out that you trust from like a legal perspective because we can't all pay lawyers um and so and like have somebody who really understands production uh who's like a mentor like you have to have those that support and those mentors to like help you really understand what your worth and value is and like the things that you're creating because that's what i feel fortunate to have had is like people who would be like this is like you don't want to do it this way i know it sounds great but like here's some perspective for you so let's do it right like that's another i'd say that's another huge lesson too is like don't be in such a rush to just be desperate to do it. Don't operate out of that scarcity mindset. Have the patience and the faith in the quality of your project to invest the time in doing it right. So even if you have to wait five months longer, sometimes a year longer, do it right. Like believe in the quality of your work. Valuable words, dropping the gems. Thank you so much, Carla Lee. Before we head out, I want to say thank you for joining us today. But where can the people find you? Where can the people stay in tune with we the people? How can we stay in tune and keep up to date with what you got going on? Absolutely. So um, any and everything nice tan is at nice tan comedy. Um, so on all so socials, we're at nice tan comedy. Um, and then on Vimeo, we're just um, vimeo.com slash nice tan comedy. All of our film stuff is up there. We the people, uh, you can go to we the people creative.com um, and you can check out our work. Um, there's a lot of really great things up there, but we are going to be doing kind of a relaunch of the website with some updates soon. Um, so follow we the people creative for now um 
on social and yeah, see what we're up to because we've got some exciting things coming. Dope. All right. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, everybody, for um, tuning in and stay up to date with the Cypher Live podcast. Peace. Thank you.